the church of Galatia had a lot of things going on, some good stuff by all means, but it had some things working uh, against itself, if you will, both from the outside forces, from hell, and also internally people, they got bewitched, they got sucked back into Judaism. Remember, that was, that's one of the camps. They, they, they went back in because they got bewitched, that kind of witchcraft. Let me define that type of witchcraft, which, which Christians, you're, you, are, you are susceptible to this almost every day of your life if you're not careful. This type of witchcraft from Galatians 3, when Paul says, who has bewitched you? That meaning who has beguiled you to bring you back in to actually lie to you and convince you contrary to what is truth and some of the foundational doctrines of Christ that you've gone back and reverted to the law again? That bewitching, here's how it comes, through either by intimidation, manipulation, or domination. Anytime someone is trying to manipulate you, that's a spirit of witchcraft. Now, it's not, it's not necessarily like the occult form of witchcraft, but it's a type of witchcraft. Anytime someone is trying to manipulate you for their betterment, regardless of what it can do to you and destroy you in any regard, be it benign or malignant in your life, anytime someone is trying to do that in your life, manipulate you, they're operating in a spirit of witchcraft. Anytime someone tries to intimidate you, it's a spirit of witchcraft. See, Jezebel not only operated in the occultic form of witchcraft, which also, just for what it's worth, that's why many times when God says, listen, when you go in there, you got to destroy, you got to destroy that, 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 those false gods, tear them all down. You got to destroy all of those uh, be it prophets of Baal, all of those who worship these false gods, because drug usage was connected to it. Especially, it's really fascinating stuff when you really study it. Even from archaeological foundings, you know, all this stuff has been documented time and time again. But when you study just the culture of the day, when, when Paul would go to a given church, especially at Corinth, especially in Ephesus, I mean, these places, you talk, they were, they were cesspools in many areas, for, even Rome by all means. And because all, all of their false religions and the false deities they served, they were connected, which, of course, pronounced sins of the flesh, they were connected to... Um, you know, there, there, there were always in their given temples or place of worship, there was always house of prostitution, male and female, and children that you could buy and use them at your will and women discretion, do whatever you wanted to them. And then also it was coupled with drug usage. Part of their religious practice many times, it, it incorporated the, some of the heavy drugs that uh, were being used in the ancient world at that time. One was opium. So anyway, you had all this going on and even other strong drugs. So Paul in the book of Galatians, he's dealing with all these spirits even, and they're going to be telling him this. He said, There's this, this spirit works in the church. Anytime someone manipulates you, anytime someone tries to intimidate you for, for them to impose their will upon you, or any, some, anytime someone wants to or tries to control you, they're actually operating a spirit of witchcraft. Now, granted, it's the most benign of all three types of witchcraft. I didn't mean to plan on uh, uh, teaching on this, but you guys enjoying this at least? Opening some eyes there? Is that, because I'm going to tell you something, I, I, can, I, can, I can listen and watch certain segments of ministry, and I'll turn to my wife and I'll say, well, that's witchcraft right there. Anytime someone who has, who has the rapt attention of people, and they are endeavoring to manipulate 
and for their control and even to dominate their will in any given area, it's a form of witchcraft, even if it may be somewhat light. That's why if, if, if you notice, and people have told me this over the years, they say, man, you have a very hands-off way of leadership. And I said, well, so did Jesus. So did Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you something. I, I have never tried and never will, never ever will impose my will upon people. I have never, ever, ever tried to control people, never tried to manipulate people whatsoever. I'm going to tell you something. There are churches right now in this city alone, definitely throughout this nation, they will manipulate you. How about that? How many of you ever attended a church? They will manipulate you to give. Anyone ever been there? Just don't want to raise their hand, huh? And that's why here, you know, I always mention it. We cover it. Sometimes I'll cover a little longer at times. But I always let it be known that, listen, this is God's word. This is why we do it. It's out of your own free will. But if you're born again, the Bible says you need to tithe and sow an offering. But we're not going to play games. We're not going to hype stuff up. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to you know, you know, send someone over to Israel to get uh, 50 gallons of oil, and then we'll put it on little cruises and say, okay, now we're going to sell this. This is an, this anointed oil from Israel. So it's doubly anointed. And you can buy this right now for... The first hundred people that give a hundred dollars can have one of these. I want you to take this home and I want you to pray over your house with this. And I want you to anoint your door, your front door and your back door. And I want you to, anyway, sound familiar. But anyway, and some will say, oh, you're being mean spirited. No, I, I, I'm just so beyond that garbage. I wanted to say something else, but I said, I better not. It's just like, don't insult my spirit. Don't insult my spiritual intelligence. But anyway, anyway, see, that's actually a form of witchcraft. If you give, we'll give you this. If you'll give $100,000, we'll, we'll give you a plaque with a 99-cent frame around it from Walmart saying that you are our long-life covenant partner. Offer ends July 31st, though. You know, it's like, am I watching an infomercial? You know, is, is this a home shopping network, or is this the church of the living God? I must be on the wrong channel here. So anyway, you got all that going on in the, book, in, in, in the church of Galatia. And because, so you had some people, they reverted back to the law. Then you had another group. They were, they were pushing grace to the extreme. That's why we looked last week on disgrace. I mean, they were living in blatant sin, open sin, and, and saying, oh, you know, we got all this liberty now. We got all this freedom now in Christ. We're born again. You know, we're saved, and we could just live however we want to live and all that. So we looked at Scripture last week to refute that, right, and to set the record straight there. We were called to liberty, but never use your liberty as an occasion of the flesh, right? So you had that camp. Then, really, you had this other camp was this. They... They were, they were endeavored to serve God with all of their heart. You know just what's real interesting, just across the board, and it's still real. If you study this from, from a sociological perspective, and you can go back from the founding of this nation, there's, overall, there's about, it's about one-third of a given population that stand in a given area. Case in point, do you realize that only approximately one-third we want to get exact, 33rd and one-third percent, right? 33.3333% 33 
supported and fought the Revolutionary War. If they didn't, if they didn't fight in it, <coughs> excuse me, they supported it. Only about 30% actually of the colonists supported it and fought it. And approximately 30% were loyal to King George. They were loyal to the crown of Britain. And then you have 30%, they're right in the middle. They didn't want to commit either way. You can take a given church, this one excluded, and you got about 30% ain't remotely living right. You got 30% that are lukewarm. And then you got 30% that are carrying the whole thing. But out of that 30%, only about 20% of those tithe and give offerings out of the whole. Empirical evidence on that. So you still really have that going on today, so it's still a challenge today. So Apostle Paul then dealt with it. I deal with it even now, except we fall out of that norm because we have the vast majority of people here fully support this ministry. Spiritually, financially, uh, with your gift and your grace, you volunteer. Every time you're doing that, you are strengthening this. You are routing, routing the forces of darkness. We sang that earlier, pushing back the darkness. God is doing that, but we have to do our part too, and you do it several ways. That's why, now all of that background, now we come to this. Galatians chapter 6, are we there? Gave you plenty of time, didn't I? Let him who was taught, let him, her, of course, let those who are taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Bottom line, and this is a New King James Version. I could have used other versions. could have been a little more clear, but here, here's the bottom line. Here's a, here, Paul, he's, he's beginning to wrap this whole thing up, and he said, listen, I want you guys to understand this. Those of you who are receiving the word of God, you need to share, and that word share uh, in many translations, actually has the word fellowship. It's koinonia, and actually it is to have mutual share to make sure that others pertaining to this given topic, that they are also benefiting being taken care of. Now, Paul is saying this, and so I'm not going to apologize and even get uncomfortable about it because I'm just preaching the word, and I'm not directing it toward anyone or even at myself. Here's the bottom line. Paul said this is how this worked. Those who are ministering the word of God to you Make sure that you are reciprocating, that you are sharing, and he's referring to giving. Make sure that you are sharing your finances in order to keep the ministry alive. My notes said that people would be still saying amen. Here are my notes. You see, I have no notes, so a little joke there. But anyway, so... Uh, Tell me what the next verse is. I, this is the first time I've ever read this, the book of Galatians. Tell me what that next verse is. What, what was that? Those first three words? Be not deceived. Wow. So let's just pause right there a moment. So if Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a true author of the Bible, by the ordination of God, so if Paul is saying do not be deceived, I think that's a real strong, emphatic statement. Wouldn't you say that? Those first three words, I think, I think he's doing two things. He first and foremost is still connecting the previous thing that was said, meaning that if you don't do that, don't be deceived. And also, before we go on any farther, those first three words, do not be deceived. So what follows this 
is an eternal principle. Be not deceived. How else does that go? So be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever, whatsoever, a man, woman, a person, a child of God, and of course even non-Christian, whatever you sow, let's just stop right there for a moment. So the, the previous verse, there again, let those who are taught in the word, let those who are ministered to by that given pastor, by that leader of that given church, week in, week out, they're ministering, they're blessing you. Paul said, make sure you are sharing in all things to make sure you can continue to have that word delivered to you. Because God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. And that previous, the fallen verse says, he, he who sows to, how's that go? Will of the flesh, see that theme that just keeps recurring, right? We touched on it last week. He who sows the flesh will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. Some versions read destruction, which actually, that's a definitive word of corruption. He who sows to the flesh. I mean, if you're living a lifestyle of the flesh, you will reap that. Ezekiel put it this way. You sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. It's simple as that. So Paul here now, he's saying, listen, verse 8, he's saying, when, when you sow to the flesh, you will have the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, we want to focus on this, right? He who sows to the Spirit will what? Reap everlasting life, meaning you're going to reap some good things in your life, right? And then jumpstart me on that next verse. I'm kind of lost right now. What's the next, next verse? Let us what? It's verse 9, Galatians 6, if you're not there. Let us not grow weary in what? Well doing or doing good, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll, break, we'll break the latter stanzas down in just a moment. So let's just stop right there. Real quick, like, up to this point alone, what little we've covered, what little ground we've gone over, Paul is saying there are three things, there are three things that a Christian should be committed to do that you should never stop doing until you go to heaven. One is this. One is giving financially so that, there is ministry in the house of God that you and other people can be fed. Right? So he's talking about giving. He's talking about, he's talking about giving financially in order so the word of God can continue to be taught. Right? Are you guys taught here? You guys fed here? Okay. So, see, that alone, and you're a born-again Christian, I mean... You have the responsibility to tithe and sow offerings. So that's the first category Paul is talking about of Christian responsibility. First and foremost, in these three verses, first and foremost, bam, you better make sure you're giving because God will not be mocked. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Because if, if someone sets under a ministry and all they do is take, do you realize... Oh, it's still kind of early, but I don't have that much time. Do you realize when you sit in a ministry and all you do is take and you don't reciprocate at all, financially, spiritually, prayerfully, uh, from a volunteer perspective, if you don't reciprocate at all, do you realize this? What little you could have received that was given to you will be taken from you. And it will be given to those who are faithful who keep that ministry alive. As simple as that. So... 
Because there's no such thing as socialism and Marxism in the kingdom of God. Everyone carries their own weight. Everyone does their part. Oh, come on. So, anyway, so there's that responsibility of a a Christian in these verses we looked at. Then there's a responsibility of moral responsibility. Verse 8 is that whoever sows to the flesh, you're going to have the flesh reap corruption. You sow the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. You'll reap blessing. You'll reap great rewards and dividends in your life. So it's our responsibility, first and foremost, we give into the kingdom of God, local church, as we're being taught and fed, correct? Then also, we are making sure that we're not living a life of sin Monday through Saturday night and showing up on Sunday and we wonder why, well, I wonder why I, I, just, I just seem like my wheels are spinning, ain't getting anywhere in Jesus. Because, see, do you realize that's one of the ways Christians are reaping to the flesh, they're sown to the flesh, and therefore they're going to reap that destruction, meaning where they want to advance in, it's being destroyed. They can never get there. They can never gain ground. They can never achieve. They never accomplish. They never see the breakthrough. They never wonder why. You know, I'm praying at least to the degree I know how to, but I'm not seeing things open up and turn around for me. The reason why is because they're, again, typically Monday through Saturday night. They're of the flesh. They're sowing to the flesh. They're reaping in the corruption. See, if it doesn't come back to you as far as... It materializes, it will materialize in the spirit. And what happens many times, the Christians are still saved, basically got a fire insurance policy. They will escape hell, they'll make it to heaven, and, and that's better than going to hell. Everyone say amen, we're all on the same page there, believe me. But at the same time, it's like, wow, you squandered your life. Because what has happened, the blessings, the breakthrough, the healings, the miracles, the advancements, the promotion, all that, they, they, they were destroyed because they were living a life. They were sowing to the flesh. Praise God they were there on Sunday. Hung over and all. Praise God. Hung over and high over. But praise God they were there. And, you know, and really, I'm not being mean-spirited or I'm, I'm really not joking. Praise God. I'm going to tell you something. If you blew it on Saturday night, get yourself into the house of God. If you, if you fell off the wagon on Thursday, Friday, even Saturday, get, get to the house of God on Sunday. If you spent time with harlots all weekend long, get to the house of God on Sunday. If you had a cussing conniption fit when you were at Walmart checking out and security had to usher you out, they wouldn't even let you take the stuff to your car. Get right and get to the house of God on Sunday and repent. Don't stay away from God. Don't stay out of the house of God. Get yourself to the house of God. Drag yourself to church. If you're still high, if you're still drunk, if you're still cussing on your way to church, get to the house of God. Glory to Jesus, I'm here today. Anyway, just get to church. Slap somebody and say, just get to church. Just get to church. Now, so I, I developed purposely the dichotomy there. If that happens, if that happens, get right. 
Because if we sin, aren't you glad if we confess our sin? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, come on. That's for him. That ain't for me. Come on. I think we need to give God a round of applause for that one scripture alone. Because don't tell me you ever, you ain't had a conniption cussing fit every now and then. Don't tell me every now and then you had to pop open a cool one just to kind of calm your nerves. Don't tell me every now and then you had to light up just to kind of collect your thoughts every now and then. Don't. And then to some, let, let's go ahead and let, you know, since I, since I already kind of maybe uh, provoked a few people, let's just go into this category. Let me just provoke everyone. It's same as this. If you go on an eating binge and consume 28,000 calories in a given day to help yourself feel better, it's called gluttony. So even if you fell in the sin of gluttony, oh, it's super quiet now. <laughs> Jesus, I'm all alone. Throw me some help here. So even if you did that, which is a sin... Get it right and get to church. You go on your diet later. It's all right. Tell somebody grace, grace, mercy, mercy, okay? But there again, which we kind of touched on last week, I don't want to keep tying this in, but it, it does kind of tie in because you know, it, it, it's just interwoven throughout the entire book of Galatians when you fully understand the backstory. But uh, it's at the same, we, we, we can't justify that. You know, there again, if we're doing it six days a week, or six and a half days a week, we wait till 6 p.m. on Sunday. Okay, let's hear it. It's like, no, no, can't do that. But there again, if we do whatever fall, there again, not six times a week or more. But if we do fall, we get it right. We keep moving forward. Amen. God is gracious. But there again, he's talking about that other category. He said, just, just live right. Just live right. Just keep sowing the, sowing the Spirit. You know, every time you sow into the Spirit, a, a reward comes back. Small or great. Now, here's the thing. It's those small things that you sow into the Spirit every day. Won't go down the, the, the list here. Those small things every day. I mean, from being kind. Just one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, anytime you're sowing any of the fruits of the Spirit, anytime you, you spend time in prayer, you spend time in your Word, you tithe, you give it up. Every time you are doing something that is, that is actually governed by the word of God for us to do, you right now are so into the spirit and you are beginning to open up the potential blessing that God releases when he opens the heaven, when there's heaven over your life. So there, those two degrees, make sure you, you know, be responsible for giving, be responsible for living right. And then he goes on to say, be responsible for not giving up. We looked at just the, the first part of verse 9. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season. Somebody say due season. Oh, I preached upon that many different times, different ways. You've heard it many times, too. It's so powerful, but I'm not focusing on that, really. Here's what I'm focusing on. This, this is the, here's, that, that was my intro. So Let me give you, this is, this is the title of this message. Don't lose heart. Just don't lose heart. And from time to time, I brought that out, that very issue out. And the Lord just put it back in my issue again and said, you know, I want you to, just, I want you to bring this out today. And possibly even next Sunday that, that we need to hear this. Because all of us have fallen into a place in our life 
where we get weary. We get tired. We're, we're, we're not these automons in the kingdom of God. We are, we are, not, the, we are not these um, robotic entities that have no feeling and, and have no need for any kind of, of, of uh, help from God and, uh, of course, any kind of encouragement from God and other people. That's, that's not who we are. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. We all get tired. We, we all get weary from time to time, but we just don't get to the point we get weary where we want to quit. And that's what Paul is referring to. Let us not grow weary in what? Well-doing or doing good, right? Same thing. Because remember, in, in Acts chapter 10, it says this. Peter's preaching, and it says this. Referring to Jesus, how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and power. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I mean, ultimate example, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he went about doing good. Sometimes when you're doing good and nothing's reciprocated, you can start getting weary. It's natural. There again, you're not a machine, I'm not a machine, we're all there. So this word here for us today is so important that we understand is that, listen, we are going to reap if we don't lose heart. Don't get to the place where you get weary, where you think God doesn't care. And that's what happens. When you start getting real weary, you think God doesn't care. He's not listening. He's left you on your own and all those kind of things. And many other things that the enemy puts in your head. You have to get to the place and realize this. No matter what, even though I don't understand things fully, I do know this. That God is for me. He's going to turn things around for me. And even in this situation I'm in that I don't fully understand, God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. So just don't lose heart. Because, you know, we, we go through things in life. All of us have, all of us will, all of us, and some of us right now might be going through issues in life that are debilitating, they are perplexing, they are confusing, they are cases that you struggle in thinking, you know, what's the deal here? You know, God, I'm doing all I can to sow into the Spirit, but I haven't been reaping yet, you know. Now, I know my due season is coming. Tell a few people around you, your due season is coming. Your due season is coming. But there again, the due season is connected at if we don't lose heart, if we don't faint, if we don't quit. That's what it's connected to. The enemy wants you to quit because he knows your due season. For what it's worth, unless you get some real spiritual insight from the Holy Spirit, he gives you a word, word of knowledge on what's about to come into your life in such a phenomenal way. Outside of that, outside of that, the enemy knows your upcoming blessings more than you do. The enemy knows what God's about to do to unleash his blessings in your life. That's why, why do you think you talk about it's always darkest before the dawn. Why, why is it that you get the most resistance before the breakthrough happens, before the miracle occurs, before the blessing manifests? Why do you think all hell, seven times from Sunday sideways even, breaks out against you and then bam, the miracle comes? Because the enemy knows what God is getting ready to do in your life. And so therefore, 
He's doing all he can to stand against you. And then, of course, having done all to stand, hmm, I think we looked at that one time. Stamina, right? Having done all to stand, you keep standing. You don't lose heart. You don't give up. You stay the course. Even when, this is when it can get me, I'm sure you too, is when you don't understand why. Now, I grew up hearing this, and I am so thankful for my Christian heritage, my Christian upbringing. I will be forever grateful to everyone who imparted into my life, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, uh, and, of course, pastors when I was a child, all of that, the elderly saints and all of that, all of that. So I'm not speaking in a disparaging way toward any of them, but I would hear some of them say this, not for my parents and grandparents, but I would hear some of the elderly saints say this when I was a boy. And it, it just never set right with me when they would say this. Well, we, we can never question God. There are certain things we don't understand. We shouldn't question God. And even as a boy, I thought, well, why not? And as a boy, I thought, to my understanding of God, He's complete. He knows everything. And He wants us to ask. So wait a minute. Now we got... Now we got Two conflicting doctrines. Okay, we're, we're told to ask, and he'll give freely. Even if we lack wisdom, I knew that one time I was seven years old. If I lack wisdom, let ask God to give all men liberally upbraideth not. So I'm thinking, okay, now, now if that scripture says that, and you're asking for wisdom because you don't know, and you don't understand, so we need wisdom, right, for the book of James. But then I would hear people say, well, you know, we shouldn't ask God and question God. Some things we just don't understand. You know, there's only, it's an extremely, extremely minuscule area that that, 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 that actually falls under. It's in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's called the secret things belong to the Lord. I mean, there are only certain things. And it is, I mean, I'm serious. It is so, it is so minuscule. It's so minute in comparison to the totality of what we should know and the knowledge we should have in serving God. So other than those secret things, King James Version uses that term, secret things belong unto the Lord, which most of all that falls under complete, complete understanding of things found in the book of Revelation, of things found also in the book of Daniel, uh, certain things found in the book of Ezekiel. Some of those fall in that certain things because you, know, you, can, hear, you can hear eight very astute uh, teachers who are extremely well-versed in uh, interpreting eschatology. And you can hear eight of them, and you're going to hear six different views on the woman clothed in the sun from the book of Revelation, what it is. So that's, that's, that falls on that secret thing, okay? I'm kind of belaboring this, but I want you to understand. Now back to this. Other than that, somebody say, other than that, God wants you to know. God wants you to know. Why, why aren't things working out? God wants you to know, how about this one? Why in the world does it seem like the world is doing better than I am? God, I've been serving you. I've been faithful to you. It seems like I'm fighting devils everywhere, and they're taking vacations on the French Riviera. Now, God, what is up with that? Anyone beside myself ever been there? See, because that's the issue. That's the issue the enemy really wants to exploit, to get you discouraged, to dissuade you to the point that your prayer life is now affected. Your giving is now affected because you sure know that those people on that $500 million yacht, 
You know those people on that $500 million yacht ain't serving Jesus. And they're doing more than talking about climate change on that $500 million yacht. I'm not against, you know, we need to take care of our environment. That's not the issue. You know, okay, you know where I'm coming from. So, you know what? Do you, do you have just an extra minute? Yes, sir. Watch this. Can I help you with something here? Psalm 73. I'm going I'm to kind of go above and beyond that. Let, 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 let me help you a little bit with this. But am I the only one? Go to Psalm 73. Am I the only one? I'll get there in a minute. Um, am I the only one? that has, has viewed life through that lens. Especially when you're struggling, you're going through difficulties, and you look at people in the world, and you're going, now what's up with that? God, they don't even serve you. If they do, at best, it's mere lip service. At best, best, they go twice a year to a lukewarm church that doesn't even have the power of God in it, of which you said everyone should stay away from. They might show up on Easter. They might show up on Christmas. They don't tithe. They don't sow offerings. They don't pray. Many times they're not kind. And it seems as though they, they skate through life. Am I the only one? Watch this. I, I'm glad I read this one decades ago because many times I've had to go back to it. I go back to it and read it again even. The Holy Spirit sometimes, of course, when you're in that observational mode, you know, it's like, Lord, you know, I, I've been faithful to you, I've been serving you, and, and, you know, David, you know, some say, oh, you know, we shouldn't do that. Read your Bible. There was a point in time in David's life, he's going through hell and high water. He said, God, he just, he just like, in the middle of his prayer, he said, you know, for help and direction. He said, God, if for nothing else, at least remember me for my good, for the good things I've done. Now, God, I know I've messed up a time or two. I know I've said things I shouldn't have said, done things I shouldn't have done. There are a couple times I strayed from you. I, I know all of that, but I prayed and I repented. You've forgiven me and you've restored me. So God, but you know I got a record. I got a good record. See, now we have more revelation. Book of, Ma book of Malachi, it's called the book of remembrance. Do you know that every good thing you do, even down to every time you talk about the goodness of God, every time you talk about how God is how good God has been to you. Do you know the book of Malachi, it says that God in heaven, God writes that down in what is called his book of remembrance. Not that he can ever forget. It's just that when we get to heaven, he's going to open that up and say, listen, listen, I want to bring this to your remembrance. You helped these people. You gave to the poor. You tithed consistently for 48 years of your Christian walk. You did this. You did that. You supported the church. You supported the pastor. You volunteered. You were kind to people. You were gracious to people. You went, and, you went and fed people who were hungry. You never even told anyone about it. You put clothes on children's back because they didn't have new clothes to go to school. You did stuff like that for most of your life. God says, I remember. So David, one time in his frustration, says, God, at least remember for my goodness sake, at least for the good things I've done. God, I've been faithful in, in, the, greater, in the greater context. He says, God, you know, I've given my bread to the hungry. I have provided shelter for those who didn't have it. God, I, 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 when people were going, I'm going to paraphrase some of this to make it really clear. God, when people were going through difficulties, I fasted. In the King James Version, it goes on to say this. I chastened my soul. 
meaning I abstain from anything enjoyable, from food and from things I enjoyed. I set them aside for seasons of my life to pray and intercede for someone else's breakthrough. Now, God, I know you remember that. So for those things alone, could you bless me now? Could you open up the door now? Could you give me a miracle now? Because I definitely need it. Uh, I think I'm preaching myself and about three other people here. But look at this. This will help you here. So when you go through those times, you're thinking there again, God, you know, I've been sown to the Spirit. God, I, I, I've been given to the local church to keep it strong and alive. I, I've been volunteering. Lord, I've been living life to my most ability. I've been living a life free from sin. And, and, but God, you know, I, sometimes I get a little weary. I'm not seeing the breakthrough. I'm not seeing the manifestations. Psalm 73, verse 1, truly, God is good to Israel. And he is. Amen. Look at this. To such as are pure in heart. Remember Jesus used that very phrase, blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They shall see God, right? They'll see God do great things in their life. Of course, I added that last part there, but that's what he's implying there. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious. The more correct word, I was, I was perplexed to the point of wondering what in the world is going on here. We'll use this word now. I was envious of the boastful. Meaning the arrogant, the proud, the haughty, which is the original sin. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When I saw the prosperity of those ungodly people. Living ungodly lives, doing ungodly things. Mocking the God that I serve and mocking Christianity. Mocking Christians that were a bunch of idiot hayseeds and hicks and bunch of dumb people who don't have a high enough IQ level to understand that this is nothing more than a bunch of fairy tales and fables. He said, it's those people. They're doing fine. They're prospering. Their lives are great. There are no pains in their death. Meaning, it seems like when they do pass out of this life, everything's peaceful and memorials are built to them. Hospitals are named after them. University wings are named after them. Schools are named after them. Days off and streets are named after them. I've always found that interesting when people like that, and you start doing true research and background check on these individuals, you go, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to build my own street and put my name on it. <laughs> Verse 5 says, and... They, they are not in trouble as other men. It's like they, they never have any trouble in their life. It's like their family's always good and all that and all that. And at least on the surface, you think so? They're not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Wow, that's a good picture, isn't it? Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. I mean, they're just, they're, they're just money-making machines even, Right? Their eyes will with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. And God, we're struggling from paycheck to paycheck sometimes. But they have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily, meaning they're just filled with arrogance and pride. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here. 
and waters of a foot. Look, just, just, just keep reading. Just keep reading. Uh, verse 14, drop down there. Verse 13, surely, verse 13, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Anyone ever thought that? Don't you, you don't have to even say amen, but sometimes you think, God, is this in vain? I've separated myself from those people and, th- and that world structure and that system and the longings and the cravings of those things. They're not in my heart. But God, I'm going through all this stuff. Lord, have, have I done this in vain? And, you, and, and someone says, oh, you shouldn't dare ask that. The psalmist did. Why is it in the Bible? Because God knew everyone at one time or another, at one level or another, would go through this. That's why it's there. So have I done this in vain? Have I washed my hands in innocence? For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Verse 15. If I had said I will speak this, behold, I would have been untrue the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, when I, when I, when I tried to reconcile this, God, I couldn't even reconcile it. It was too lofty for me to even try to reconcile. I couldn't remotely begin to understand how this all came about and how I could there again try to reconcile. And then verse 17, until I went into the house of God. Until I went into the house of God, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in and decade out. And I was taught by a man of God that taught me the word to help me to understand the perplexities, difficulties, and the things that are hard to reconcile in life. But he taught me from the word of God, which is a source of all and true wisdom and knowledge, on how to reconcile all things. And so, attending the house of God, then I begin to understand their end. Then I begin to understand how all this thing works out. Jump with me. Oh, because of time. Jump with me all the way down to verse, uh, let's go to verse 25. My flesh and my heart fell, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse um, verse 27. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Real quick, like, remember, this is cause and effect. When it says you have destroyed those who desert you for harlotry, and harlotry, not just referring to the sexual connotation across the board. Because remember, earlier, their eyes bulge with abundance and prosperity. You know, because people, bottom line, bottom line, that's their God. Money is their God. Now we understand why Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. It's not that money is evil, it's the love of it that's the root of all evil. Because you can take a righteous person or an ungodly person, they're going to do different things with money. The righteous person is going to tithe. They're going to sow offerings. They're going to bless others, bless the church, take care of themselves and their family also, which they should do that by all means, right? They're going to do that. The ungodly aren't. They're going to spend it on things that fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Simple as that. Their entire life has been given to harlotry, meaning everything that satisfies them in the flesh area, they heap it upon themselves. So the psalmist begin to understand, oh, that's what you do. And actually, their end is destruction. It's, it's cause and effect because they've sown to the flesh. They've of the flesh reaped corruption. It doesn't matter how rich and powerful someone is. If God isn't the center focus of their life. 
if they don't train up those children in the way they should go. I'm not, I'm not talking about mere religion and having, and of course, just going through a ritual to kind of whitewash the, the heinous acts of crime against humanity that they've been doing. When you begin to study people for generations and generations, you begin to realize, you know what, God, that is right. It's the latter, latter part of Psalm 73 that's accurate, is that I do actually realize their end is destruction. I do realize that they are under a curse. So I realize this now, God, that it pays to serve you, that you will bless those who serve you. You will bless the children of the fathers and the mothers who serve you. You will bless the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and the great-great-great-great-grandchildren to seven generations, God said. I will bless your children, which means perpetual. The reason being is because you stood the test of time. You didn't grow weary in well-doing. You fulfilled your Christian responsibility. And that due season in your life and generations to come, your children and grandchildren will enjoy the blessings that started in your life. For more information about our teaching resources, visit our website at ciclive.com. Dot com.